ಮಗ್ಯಾನತಿಮಿರಂದಸ್ಯಾಜನಂಜನಾಶಲಾಕಯಾಕ್ಷೂರುನ್ಮಿಲಿತ್ಯೇನಾಶ್ರೀಗು
Harikata, we are trying to serve the same common ideal. So whether I'm on this side of the screen, on the other side of the screen, it's a teamwork. So we need each other. Hmm? The very word Sankirtan implies that, interestingly. No? Sankirtan is the gift of Mahaprabhu. But Sankirtan in its very definition implies a group effort. No? It's a collective endeavor, so to say. We cannot do Sankirtan by ourselves. Ourselves, we can do some Kirtan. I will do some Kirtan. <laughs> but some Kirtan, <laughs> we need each other. So it's very beautiful how in the very meaning of the word Sankirtan already it's implied this, we need each other. So this is not an independent attainment. No? Like I did it for myself. No? In the very implication of the idea of Sankirtan is this humility that you cannot do it by yourself. We have to do our part individually, of course. But part of our individual choice is to choose how we relate to each other and do this teamwork properly. No? So this is part of that, no? how we show collaboration. That's the beginning of love, we could say. The beginning of love is collaboration. How we put aside our ego, not allowing the ego to get in the way, and work together for a common goal. That's the beginning of love. It's, we talk about love, we talk about prem, these very high ideals, but we have to be able to show the beginnings of love in the form of collaboration. So what we are about to do now is a form of that. It's a form of showing love to each other, trying to collaborate in invoking the presence of our deity in our hearts in this moment by the interaction by liking one another, by hearing, by talking. In this Mahotsavan, as we say yes today, no? Dubatan say Harikatais Mahotsav in itself. It's a great festival. And as Krishna Chandra Prabhu mentioned, the unending questions that will come the more we get no, into the, the experience of the unlimited. It's not that the more we get closer to Krishna, the less questions we will have and we'll be just addicted to certainty. I only want close answer, finished answers. So there's no need to ask more questions on the contrary. But the questions will come from another place. <laughs> when you are totally certain about Krishna, when you are attracted to Krishna, there you have many more questions from, from another quality, from another place. No? In, in lim unlimited inquiry about the object of your affection. Not so much questions, does Krishna exist or not? No? Maybe we have those questions in the beginning. No? And how to develop my faith, how to have an experience that nourishes my faith. Or when all of that is in place, the questions that will come are of a different category altogether. And probably that's what Krishna referred to in the Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> Almost at the end of the Gita, chapter 18, verse 63, 
Krishna is using the word asheshena. Asheshena, which is, speaks about which is the nature of our inquiry. So asheshena means endlessly. So Krishna is depicting like one will be having endlessly questions. Again, not because one is doubting about what's coming, but on the contrary, <laughs> that will be a symptom of one's faith, not of one's lack of faith. So one sense the duty of the disciple is to present questions. That's the dharma of the disciple, to bring questions, to show his own progress in the form of questions. One way to see where we are in our journey is by the questions we are presenting. As we said the other day, and that's why we have to be very honest in our questions. We don't have to try to present a question that that looks very high, so everyone thinks I'm so advanced. But actually, I'm not there. No? But I heard from another class, a very advanced devotee asking that question, so I will copy-paste that question and bring here. Nobody will know that someone else asked that question. I will seem very, very high, very advanced. That's not, that's, that's not a, a real question. So that won't bring a real answer either. Probably we won't feel that the answer to that question will touch our heart because the question didn't come from the heart. <laughs> so, again, the duty of, of the disciple is to present questions endlessly. And all of us are disciples. All of us are students forever. <laughs> so the point is, all of us are invited to that journey of continue inquiring into the unlimited nature of the absolute ananta one name of krishna is ananta which means he who has no antia no? antia means end antelila so ananta means no no end ananta and one name of harikata as one name of krishna is hari and we have harikata one name of krishna is ananta we have Anantakata, which means, as we said the other day, conversations about the unlimited or unlimited conversations, because they are about the unlimited. <laughs> it, it will make no sense if I tell you, let's have limited conversations about the unlimited. No? It's not possible. The very nature of the, of the unlimited is like, Constant, constantly expanding the, the topic of our conversation. And that's why in our tradition we will hear things like, I don't know, Krishna in the Gita says, Sata Tam Kirtayantamam, perpetually glorifying me. Kirtaniya Sadahari, always executing Kirtan, Nityam Bhagavata Sivaya, eternally serving Bhagavan, talking about Him. All these words, satatam, nityam, sada, which means always, forever, eternally, perpetually, asheshena, without end. <laughs> I'm saying all this just for us to enter into the mood of interaction, which is, there's no end to this. Don't, don't, don't try to come to these meetings hoping that one day this will be over. <laughs> huh? 
don't make some question hoping that someday you don't, you don't have any more questions ever. Krishna Chandra says it's the opposite way around. No? The more you chant, the more you will want to chant. The more you serve, the more you want to serve. The more questions you present, the more questions you will have. <laughs> So that's it. Are there any questions? <laughs> yes, Roberto, right? The name? Yeah, of course. Yeah. A volte sembra la differenza tra anzi, la relazione tra l'amore verso gli altri, verso le altre persone quindi verso i propri cari, verso la propria moglie, verso il proprio vicino, e l'amore verso Dio, verso Krishna, verso Radharani, verso Shiva. Eh, a volte sembra che è più facile amare Krishna, amare Radha, amare Shiva, perché non, non c'è ego, non, non c'è risposta, una risposta negativa. Eh, a volte invece sembra irraggiungibile perché... Non, non è vicino, non è tangibile. Eh, invece, ehm, a volte, amare la propria moglie, amare i propri figli, sembra molto difficile, però sono più vicini, più concreto. Ecco, come com com è la relazione tra, eh, tra questi approcci nell'amore? che si dice eh, se ami Krishna poi ami tutti gli altri esseri mm. no? però nello stesso tempo se non ami non puoi amare Krishna e trattare male la tua moglie o i tuoi figli mm. quindi ecco volevo se puoi eh, un po' chiarire questo, questi aspetti come si interagiscono mm. you Yes. Because it's similar to Italian, it's similar to Spanish, so I, but you can translate in English for whomever doesn't. What understand. is the relationship between God, love of God, love and love of God, God and love or, uh, you know, of uh, beings here like the Family. wife and the children and the neighbors and people here? Because sometimes it looks like it's more easy and uh, more approachable just to love God because there's no ego. <laughs> on, on God's part. On God's part. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make it complicated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like quite easy to go there. But with people here, it's, it can become quite difficult and quite complicated. Mm -hmm. So, but I know also that I cannot just say I love God, but at the same time treat beings here in a very strange and horrible way. That's not his main question. Yeah, at the end he said, so how is this interrelated, the two ways of yeah, loving God who seems further away, but it's not tangible, so it makes it easier than the wife who is... Um, tangible and how this is interrelated in, in a way mm -hmm. 
Ja. Ja. So, the question is how this is interrelated. And this is a question, similar question I remember some days ago, one of the, I think was not her name from France, she asked something similar. Uh, but of course, we, we may need to ask the same question so many times. Even different people or the same person. <laughs> how these, these types of law are interrelated? Well, I, I will begin by saying, as we already also talked, few days ago, we were not here, of course, uh, but everything is interrelated. So that's a good, important beginning point. No, everything is interrelated. That was, we call that Sambandha. One name of Krishna is Mukya Sambandha, which means he with whom everything has its primary relationship. So, Everything and everyone is first and foremost connected with Krishna, with the absolute center. And since everything is connected to him, we're also connected to everything else because everything else is connected to the same center we are connected. <laughs> That's what we may call a non-dual vision to understand. Nothing is separated from the common foundation of reality. When we start to see isolated beings, disconnected entities here and there, we call that dualistic vision. And that, according to the Bhagavatam, that's the source of all fear and anxiety. You're learning that verse, Jonathan? Okay. That's an important one. <laughs> So that's the first line. It's a long one, but that's the first line only. We are talking here, bhayam duitya abhinivesh tasya, which means basically when one is absorbed abhinivesh in dwayam, in duality, in losing sight of the common foundation and the common interrelatedness of everything. When one loses sight of that, bhayam, fear comes, anxiety, and all the symptoms that I think we all know. <laughs> which come from seeing reality and approaching reality from an like dislocated is a I mean, dislocated disjointed way here this here that here that instead of seeing as everything as part of a whole so to say contained integrated in a greater whole so i, I will begin with that point regarding your question because we are talking about loving god loving others like if it's something like completely separate, but if we understand everything is interrelated, how much I can make this love as something, loving someone and I cannot love the other. Ideally, if we are loving someone, we, that should be a reflection of our love for everything else. And of course, it all begins with the center around which all of us revolve, which is God. So if we if we are trying to relate to Krishna, and I was thinking it was interesting what you mentioned. Okay, Krishna doesn't have ego, so that make make it easy. <laughs> we could say la that, or or also we can say we could say also that makes it even more difficult because to relate with someone without ego 
in one sense, you have to be without ego as well. To fully relate to such a person, it's also inviting you to get rid of your own ego. And that's not so easy. <laughs> so in that sense, it can be challenging also. Uh, because I've heard that same argument from that from the other place, and people saying it's easier for me to relate to my family and my dog and my everything. Although they have ego, but I also have ego, so we kind of talk the same language. <laughs> but addressing God, relating to God, completely pure, transcendental, free from ego, that's for me like Chinese, not like a completely different language. And I, no? so different ways of approaching. I'm not contradicting your point, just sharing another perspective. <laughs> but what our tradition teaches is that ideally, uh, again, the center, the common center for all is the divine. So we should connect with that center and from there relate to everything and everyone else, acknowledging their connection with that common center. Acknowledging we are all brothers and sisters, if you will. Krishna will say in the Gita, Hambija Pradapita. Like I'm the universal father of all. And all of us are his children, if you want to put it like that. No? In Sanskrit, they say, um, Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I need my Krishna Chandra closer. But even though from the distance, he, he provides the necessary. Nice. We are on the same page. No? So I was Vasudhaiva Kutumbaka, which basically means there's only one family. There's no more than one family. If you start to think in terms of two families, you start to be sectarian. You start to become a public danger. <laughs> My family and your family, us and them. No? You start to create this duality. Unity, 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 two families. <laughs> four from two families come four families and six and eight. And... But ideally, there is no more than one family. So we will connect to the center, and from that connection to the center, we can really connect to everyone else for who they are. Because if I try to relate to everyone without the common connection to our center, I'm not relating to the actual person. I'm not honoring the person for who, they're, who they are in connection to their center. I'm relating to them who knows in which way, sometimes as an object. Many times we, without considering the common center, we tend to objectify people. That's not very romantic. That's not very loving to treat each other as objects, basically. So, so first we have to acknowledge the common center, from there relate to each other. So in that way, our love for the center, our love for Krishna, let's say, has to be reflected in how we relate to everything else. It cannot be otherwise. As you mentioned, if I say I love Krishna so much, but then I'm like a dictator to everyone else around me, then I will tell you, you don't love Krishna at all. The same way you are treating it, everyone else, that's why we are actually treating Krishna. Although externally, 
it seems that you are offering whatever that address to God has to be reflected in everything else if you really love God you will see God's presence everywhere that's a symptom in the scripture if you have love for someone you will feel the presence of the object of your love everywhere and you will relate accordingly to that there is a few verses in the Bhagavatam in the third canto where Kapila Dev is talking about in this regard, sorry that I don't have the exact numbers in my mind, but we can look for them because I was talking about them the other day. Where Kapila Dev is speaking about worship of the deity, which is another way of saying loving God, and how those what happens or how how he considers those who worship the deity but who neglect their relationships with other people. And Kapila lives pricks quite strongly. <laughs> yeah, it's like pouring ashes onto the fire, he will say. Your worship... Ghee in the ashes. Sorry, ghee in the ashes. No, he's saying basically your worship of the deed is useless. If you worship God and mistreat other people, what you are doing is a show in the altar. You are just performing some facade to cheat others, to cheat yourself. But if you say, you, I love God, but you are violent, mistreating to other people, that's an insult to God, basically. So there are a few verses. We can look for them later. There are like nine verses or something. One stronger than the other. <laughs> Which for me is very nice every time that someone asks me, asks, asks me about Archana. No? Like, Maharaj, can you give me some advice regarding worshiping the deity? <laughs> and sometimes they maybe expect, like, give me some mudras and some techniques and some more like ritualistic formula. And I'm not very much of a ritualistic person, sorry. <laughs> so I will go to this verse of the Bhagavatam. No? Begin here. So your worship of the deity is realistic. Don't get stuck into the altar and over-absorb. Okay, I'm doing this so technically perfect and all the offerings and all. And then I go out and I mistreat everyone and I'm completely this. Stop seeing the deity in other people. That's the, the spirit of those verses. If you worship the deity properly... The result of your worship is that you will start to see the deity in the heart of every person. And you will start to treat them accordingly. The altar will start to expand to every other part and every other person. That's the ideal result of Archana. The presence of your deity gets universalized. The altar stops being one corner in one room and starts to be every heart, every sec, every part, every atom, till you reach the vision of the highest devotee who is seeing Krishna everywhere. He who sees everything in me and me in everything, I'm, I'm never lost to him, he's never lost to me. So anyhow, some thoughts, in, I, I don't know if that somehow re replies to, answers your question, Roberto. So, so uh, as, as God and everything is connected, everything is interconnected, therefore our relationship with one should reflect our relationship with everything else. 
No, there's a nice simple quote. Like I don't know actually the the original author, but it's very beautiful. I heard it from Richard Rohr. Probably it's from him, but probably from someone else. It says, "The way you do anything, how you do anything, is how you how you do anything is how you do everything." How you do anything is how you do everything. How you conduct in certain acts is showing how you do everything else. Follow. It's not that I worship the deity very nicely, but then the rest is a disaster. <laughs> no. Then that disaster is showing how we are actually worshiping. <laughs> it's not that you are worshiping nicely. That shows how, how you are treating each other. No, if you are treating each other miserably. So how you do anything is how, is how you do everything. So it's important that, yeah, each of our actions reflect what's going on in our heart. So that's a nice way to, how to say, to, to be put to test in where we are in our relationship with God. In our, in how, in how do we relate with other people as well? Because in the goal of our lives, we will be living in community also. Spiritual world is not a, a private cloud that each of us will have, and nobody will see each other ever. So I'm relaxed, no challenges. <laughs> no, we'll be living in community eternally. So we are now training for the eternal community, so to say. No? If we don't pass the community test, then don't expect that you will be allowed into the eternal community because you are not choosing that. <laughs> So, and again, community, the word community speaks about common unity. So we go back to the idea of establishing the common center and relating and being united with that common center. We have a common ideal that is bigger than each of us independently. So that common ideal will help us to not get stuck and conflicting with our small differences as individuals. That will be always be there. No? Disagreements, difference of opinion. But if a common tiger ideal is there, that will help us to harmonize all the, so to say, inferior differences that may be there. But if the common ideal is not there, with all this difference, we just have one Kurukshetra after another, basically. <laughs> and there's no possibility of community, not even re relationship between two people, basically. Oh, here, okay, here Bhaktirasa shared the verses, interestingly. Thank you, Bhaktirasa. <laughs> chapter 29 from Third Canto, and she's saying verses 21 to 34. So it seems there are 13 verses. You can you can confirm, but I think, I mean, because she provided those verses the other day, I was needing them also. So I'm sure she she was accurate in the numbering. If you make the slightest difference yeah. between one living and the another, mm -hmm. then the result will be fear. Mm -hmm. I, I can look for the verses now, and if you want, we can share them. They are very interesting. And also because at the beginning, you also said, Give me so one, one second. Seven, 29, 7. 
One second, one second. Ah, oh, 21. Mm -hmm, yeah. No, that's not 21. 29. 29. I do chapter 29. Verse, verse seven. Oh, I put I put nine. Sorry, I put a wrong number here. <laughs> 29, 21. Yeah, it's 21. Yeah, yeah. So should I read 13 verses to you, or that's too much? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go with the first one, verse 21. 21, chapter 29, canto 3. He says, Krishna is speaking, Bhagavan, one form of Krishna. I am present in every living entity as the super soul, Paramatma, form of God in the heart. If someone neglects or disregards that super soul everywhere, and engages himself in the worship of the deity in the temple, that is simply imitation. So that's one verse. If you worship the deity but neglect the deity's presence everywhere, not even in every heart, everywhere, because he's talking in, in terms of Paramatma. So Paramatma is not only in every heart, but in every atom. So that's a high standard. <laughs> If you neglect the presence of God in every atom, that's imitation. <laughs> of some level, don't get neurotic, please. Don't get discouraged. <laughs> but he's speaking about how... So so we are not cheap also in, in speaking. I worship Krishna. I worship the deity. No? So immediately this verse will come. Like, are you honoring the presence of God in every atom? Better I, I won't say I worship. I'm trying. I'm trying. Because <laughs> sometimes it's easy. It's like, I believe in God. But if you play out the implications of what does it really ultimately mean you believe in God, you will, should be living your life in such a way that probably you realize, I'm not living my life like that. So how much I should say I believe in God? Sometimes I don't believe in God. Sometimes, officially, I may say I believe in God, but sometimes I may behave as an atheist or impersonal. Like if God does not exist, sometimes I may conduct myself for, forgetting about God's existence. So in that moment, I, I'm not a theist, officially. <laughs> so all this to humble our own statements. Anyhow, there are many verses like Krishna Chandra. Then you can go in the details. One more, one more. Yeah, this is something what I maybe one the one you refer, verse 26. That's intense. <laughs> As the blazing fire of death. Let's get a little bit like try to get the spirit. Don't don't get like I will be thrown to eternal hell. It's just like Sometimes the use of the language to create some emphasis. As the blazing fire of death, I cause great fear to whoever makes the least discrimination between himself and other living entities because of a differential outlook. So we have a difference of opinion, and I create this like difference instead of. On top of that, remain reminding ourselves, 
we are connected. We are interrelated with a common source. No, if I start to see every other person as enemy, opposition, whatever, anti-party, <laughs> Kapila Dev say, I'm the place in part of that that will fill you with fear. <laughs> Again, not to promote an idea, bad God, it's just a way of saying how we end up in those places by creating this duality again. Maharaj, we like, um, we sing this Chatur Vidha, Sri Bhagavad Prasad, we sing mm -hmm. that, oh, Sri Guru, it doesn't make a difference between that stomach and that. Mm. If he puts food in that stomach, he feels satisfied. So this is like the practical application from that principle here. Sri mm. Guru is that person who lives that principle. That's why for him, he is no death. It doesn't exist. He's what? For no death. Because, you know, the death mm, doesn't mm, exist. Mm. Yeah. yeah that, that's basically the idea. When, when we are able, as you mentioned, to, to transcend this duality, this world of biases, there's no more fear of death. Because to think in terms of death, to think in terms of I will die, in itself requires a dualistic outlook. Because if you are situated in your actual identity, there's no longer death. From the non-dual foundation of who you are in connection to your source, there's no more death. When you enter into the game of duality, whew, you start to be afraid, not only of death, but of everything. <laughs> everything and everyone. Everyone is a potential threat. And we start like to think in terms of groups and us and them and good and bad. And Anyhow, some further thoughts that came. <laughs> Because of this series of verses, you can then go through the verses one by one with time. That's a very interesting meditation. Is the question worked out now? Yeah, it, uh, the question actually uh, already uh, a part of it got answered. Oh, yeah, and that happens very often. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So let's go to the part that is not answered. So, yeah, maybe you just go ahead with this, maybe. Um, uh, and back to the question, finally, also uh, about the Svarup, the eternal Svarup. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that means that every living entity has Krishna in it. And not only the living, every living grass, the air, the water. So, if Krishna is our friend, there are no outer enemies anymore. Yes. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> so, if Krishna is so perfect. So Everything there is this perfect spark yeah. in the heart, perfection in, in, in every being, as it is. Yeah, you're asking for confirmation, or you're no, 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 I'm just trying to, you know, get this all together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Also, something appears outside of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's very important that we always are aware of this. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, my question is about this eternal soul. Oh, how does this look like? <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. How does it look like? Like everybody has an individual eternal soul. What do you mean by sorup? Um, how I don't know. The, how many translations it is like an eternal form, right? <laughs> Long topic, <laughs> but I mean, we talked a little bit. Of course, we were not here, so we, because it was some days ago. But technically speaking, according to what Shastra says, some of them, some of you may differ with me, but I'm trying to talk <laughs> according. I'm trying trying to talk on the basis of what Shastra said and to try to compile that in the first book I wrote. And in the scripture, it's described that no, one doesn't have an eternal form. The soul is described without form. And eventually one is endowed with a, a form by the grace of bhakti. But as Tatasta Shakti, it's not that we have already a predetermined eternal form in the Lila, to, to give an example. But the potential The potential for that is there, of course. If not, what are we doing here practicing? <laughs> there is no hope. <laughs> so in potential. Potential that's that's there, of course. That means tatasta. No? According to the environment, there will come a particular potential. Yeah. But let me read something regarding what you say first, because that was very interesting. What you say, okay, perfection is everywhere. So I remind was remind the one quote, one quote from Sulasidar Maharaj that I quote in my book. So I don't have my book here printed, but I have the PDF, so I will read from there. <laughs> yeah. So he says, everything is full of wonder. If we analyze the atom, we will be in wonder. Only we impose limitations. But when we analyze the atomic parts, of wood or stone, it's not even talking about people, but wood and stone, we will be in wonder. The infinite is everywhere. Perfection is everywhere. The trouble is that with our limited thinking, 
we have produced a world of limits. So, yeah, the more we get rid of the misconception in our own filter, <laughs> we will realize every atom is an embassy of the Supreme, to put it poetically. Every atom is oozing with the presence of the Absolute. That's what Shastra say. Paramatma is in every atom. Paramatma specifically. It's a form of the Absolute. In one sense, you can sometimes I say that's something, well, but that's not Krishna, that's Paramatma. Yes, but also you cannot make full difference between Krishna and Paramatma. You can make some difference, but not complete difference, because that's duality again. <laughs> it's not that Paramatma and Krishna are two different people. <laughs> so, we can speak at some point of the difference, bed, but we have also a bed. So we have always to navigate graciously between bed, a bed, difference, non difference, difference, non difference. So, yeah, I wanted to make that point because I appreciate your point of Yeah. Just, you just described this difference, uh, how I worship Radha and Krishna and how I treat all beings here. You just described that. Ich finde das so schön, wenn wir darüber manchmal sprechen, dass eigentlich genau auch so eine Diskrepanzerfahrung eigentlich das, ähm, der Nährboden fürs Gebet ist. And I, when we sometimes talk about this topic, yeah, this topic um, we feel a discrepancy. And how this discrepancy it doesn't fit completely together. Our oh, we want to love God and Krishna, but it's not that this is completely reflected. And how this discrepancy is can again be the foundation for prayer. And I also thought, also ich dachte auch an sein Zitat von Richard Waugh, dass eigentlich Gebet, also ein jedes Gebet ist ein Moment des Sterben. And I thought of this quote of Richard Rohr that each and every moment is a moment of dying or prayer is, a, is dying. Training in dying. Yeah. Training in dying. Und, um, und dann habe ich mich gefragt, was ich bei ihm so raushörte, ist dieses, dass man selber wie in die Verantwortung geht, indem man diese Diskrepanz wahrnimmt. So I heard from you that Oh, we should go in our own responsibility that we see this discrepancy for our love of Krishna, but really it's not reflected completely. Und ist es aber nicht auch, dass es diesen Anteil gibt, diese eigene Machtlosigkeit auch darin zu sehen, also sich darin wie auch zu übergeben im Gebet, also mit diesem Flehen gewandelt zu werden, weil sonst ist man ja doch wieder in so einer Ego-Schleife zu meinen, ich könnte das alles erwirken. Is it not that this discrepancy can be not just overcome by our own action, because otherwise I'm again like a doer, but to be accept this helplessness and this helplessness 
can become transformed to a prayer again. Also das ist vielleicht ein bisschen so diese Frage im Hinblick auf, wie gehe ich mit diesen Diskrepanzen um, die ich wahrnehme? prayer that will be our last meeting so i thought i think you will like the topic because we are here in prayer land <laughs> no? so but yeah thank you for your question yeah i will say that that's what i when when we were talking about this discrepancy that's part of the struggle of the sadaka Because as you may imagine, it's not that, okay, for a few months I will feel the discrepancy, but after that everything will be in perfect harmony. No? It may take lifetimes. <laughs> not as something bad, not as something wrong with it. It's just like, it's a process. No? So we, we should, as we were talking this day, we should be able to accept ourselves in that process. No? not to chastise ourselves extremely because there is a still discrepancy and torture ourselves like I'm a hypocrite I I know I'm I'm cheating myself not not going into neurosis <laughs> but but being thankful that that we are seeing the discrepancy <laughs> as painful as that is it's better to see it instead of cheating ourselves and thinking, oh, everything is nice and perfect and it's not. So, so that, that's part of that, no? That healthy repentance that comes when we perceive the discrepancy. That's one of the many discrepancies that we may perceive in our daily basis still. For a long time, we may feel, I'm so contradictory yet still. No? <laughs> It's not that, oh, and after two years of practicing, no more contradictions in my life. Everything is like, generally, it's not the case. So we have to learn how to coexist with that for probably a long time without going crazy, <laughs> without feeling this is failing, the process is not working, I'm a super cheater, I shouldn't be here, I'm leaving. All the things can happen. I've seen people doing all those things getting depressed, getting discouraged, getting disconnected or, or, or thinking Krishna is not being merciful enough, holy name is not having effect, so many possibilities. <laughs> Instead of learning to be patient with the process and being humble and recognizing, well, I'm coming from Anadi lifetimes <laughs> without beginning, in certain pattern and I cannot expect in a weekend in a, re, in a silent retreat at Ananda Dam for a week that I will come out like a Uttam Bhagavat. No? <laughs> That's a little too much. No? 
I'm sure you will come transformed, but do not over idealize, over expect like that quickly, no? So, so I'm saying all this because to normalize a little bit that, not to to take it as an excuse. To, ah, like we talk today in the morning. Oh, that's me. Discrepancy, contradictions. I will continue. No, no. There is pain. There is repentance when we see that we don't want that, but still that's there. But also we have to balance the pain with, with somehow normalizing that, understanding that's part of the process. During certain stages, those things will happen. <laughs> so I kind of like chastise me extremely for that because that's not helping. So the way to deal with that, at least what comes to my mind, of course, is every time that I see the discrepancy <laughs> I take away Krishna is showing me no in this I mean if we see the discrepancy means probably we are seeing I mistreated someone no? so seeing that Krishna is telling me okay go and do something about it in that relationship in that, in that situation try to get closer to me by healing whatever happened in that relationship. If you know you reacted in the wrong way, there's always place to repent, to be humble, to, to show how much you want to change, to show how much you want to get closer to Krishna. And of course, part of that is what you mentioned also, you know, to admit on some level, I'm powerless. That's the first step in the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. you know the 12 steps program that's pretty I mean we can engage in that ourselves huh? I think we talked about that some days ago I don't know if it was here in France already I always mix the where I was talking because someone may say I don't need to do the 12 step program because I'm not addicted I'm not smoking drinking taking this but we all share a common addiction and that's we are addicted to our thoughts to our worldviews, to our way of seeing things. We are addicted to that. I think I talked about that here. It is they, There is some research done that on a very good day, we are willing to question 5% of our thoughts. And that's a very nice day. We are willing to, to put to question, I'm a correct or not, 5%. <laughs> So basically, that means on a normal day, we are not questioning anything. We are, we are completely sure this is the ultimate reality, how I see everything, how I feel everything. Again, this is research and as an average. I'm not saying that every one of you is like that. But we may be not be that far from that on some level. So we are addicted. That's my point. So these systems for recovery from addiction, on some level, we... We shouldn't feel I'm that far from that. So my point is the first step of the 12 to be to for the possibility of any healing, any recovery, the first thing you have to acknowledge is this beyond me. I have no power over this addiction. This addiction is controlling me. I do not control anything. I'm powerless. And I surrender myself to a power that is higher than me. If you don't go through the first step, you cannot even talk about the second step. What to speak about the whole system. 
So that's important, as you mentioned. That's that's very foundational in prayer. Now we approach prayer from that emptying ourselves, like emptying, so we can be filled. Because if we approach Krishna already filled, he cannot put anything else because we are already like akanta, as I said. <laughs> so we have to learn to let go, empty ourselves, acknowledge our powerless in, in a healthy way. Again, not like a depressed, traumatized place, but just like a realistic place. When we sometimes may see the discrepancy and maybe, I don't know, we fail in whatever case. We, we, we may fail in something in our relationship with others and we continue failing in the same thing over and over again. <laughs> And we try, we try to, to not fail again in the same thing, you know, to at least commit higher mistakes, <laughs> to fail in, some, in something deeper. But sometimes it's like, it's like a deja vu, oh, again, oh, again here, again here. It's like... So yeah, in those cases, it's healthy, like acknowledge that's beyond your control. You have no control and try to pray for some special dose of mercy in that case. Try to identify a very deep need that you have in your powerlessness and pray for mercy to be able to overcome that. And, and I'm sure if you are sincere in that prayer, you will have an epiphany, you will have some revelation, you have some, some experience for sure. Yeah. So that, that I will take in a more, so to say, ex extreme situation. I mean, we, we should always pray from that place. But my point is, in some situations, in relationships, we feel the discrepancy. And we know we could do something to, to make the discrepancy disappear. So we should do that also. It's not that, oh, I'm powerless, I will pray to Krishna. But sometimes Krishna will say, no, no, I already gave you the power from your previous prayer. <laughs> so now you do something about that. You follow because if not, every time there's a problem, I will go to pray. Krishna, powerless, give me mercy. So you go back again, the same problem. Oh, Krishna, powerless, give me mercy. <laughs> and Krishna, I already given you so much mercy. Now go to that situation and fix the whole thing, please, <laughs> with my mercy. Well, so we have also to know how to relate with Krishna's answer to our prayers and and express that in. And the practical level in our relationship with others. And that's not so easy. That's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, challenging. Challenging and many times to the ego because we fail so many, we fail miserably so many times. <laughs> and at that moment, it's impossible, it's important that we don't we don't over-identify with our failure. Because if we identify so much with failing many times on the same thing, it's like, we will think, I have no hope here. And, and it's important to remember, Krishna is still loving us unconditionally in those moments, especially when we are failing miserably. Bhagavan is loving us, especially in those moments. Because if we forget that, we start sometimes to go down really deep. <laughs> So we should remember in those most embarrassing moments of our daily life, we are being especially loved, not only by God, but by our 
family and companions and support. So that should give us strength to, okay, let's try again. And let's learn for, from the failures also. Let's learn from the mistakes. No, it's not, it's not a problem that we are failing. I mean, I'm not saying this, okay, try to fail as much as you can. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, I mean, you don't need to determine yourself to fail. You will fail. <laughs> but the problem is, the problem here is not failing or not failing. The problem is learning from the failure or not learning from the failure. I mean, the problem is not imperfection. We already ma mentioned that. The problem is not learning from imperfection. That's the problem. <laughs> but if you learn from your mistakes, how much you can call them mistakes at the end of the day? <laughs> no? Sometimes to say we 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 grow way more. We 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 grow more by doing things wrong by the, by that by doing things right. <laughs> When we start to do things right, many times we start to become proud. We start to feel, wow, I'm doing everything perfect. It's working. I'm incredible. This is great. And we are not willing to change. We don't feel that we are in need. We don't feel powerless. We cannot pray too deeply because I'm doing everything very nicely, very pakka. So I don't need to pray to Krishna. I'm doing everything nice. <laughs> but when you start to fail... This brings you to a place of humility, acknowledging your dependence, your need for shelter. And that's an important aspect of humility, you know? That's what Mahaprabhu says, because when we say Mahaprabhu and humility, generally we go to the third verse of Sikshastakam, which of course speaks about humility, no doubt. <laughs> but actually every verse of Sikshastakam speaks about a level of humility. Each verse speaks about the level of bhakti, and each level of bhakti, there is a level of humility. So the verse before that verse, the last line, especially the whole verse, the last line, Mahaprabhu also shows another type of humility. Now, first he shows deep appreciation from the Greek gift, Namamna Karibahudanya Jarva Saktis, etc. Oh Krishna, your name, so many names, all Shaktis in all these names, no heart, unfast rules, your mercy is such. So he's appreciating first the, the breadth and depth of the gift. And then last line, Durdaiba Midrishami But Kintu, <laughs> but I'm so unfortunate that I have no attraction for that. So that's humility. It's a type of humility, it's a healthy repentance. You are giving such a thing in such a generous way, so powerful, so diverse, so wide but I'm not attracted. So unless you go through that humility first, you cannot go to the humility of the third verse. If you force yourself more humble than a blade of grass, it won't work. First you <laughs> go to the humility of verse two, showing proper repentance when you see this discrepancy. That's what Mahaprabhu is giving in that verse from another place, not the same place of treating others, but knowing all the, in the name all this is there but by contrast discrepancy i don't feel anything i'm chanting i'm falling asleep i'm chanting and thinking about my mind is going shopping to so many places <laughs> again not like a torture and getting depressed and stop chanting at all altogether <laughs> but having a healthy sense of repentance so so from that place, I pray with renewed strength. 
I may feel powerless, pray with more em emptying my heart more. Can you explain how this humility from the second verse is a prayer requisite quality to go in the third verse, like another person mentioned? Well, the point is that. How do they interrelate? Yeah, well, the second verse of Sikshastagam, each verse of Sikshastagam speaks about the nine stages of bhakti. That's claimed by Bhakti Nautakur. Of course, there are eight verses, but there is a correspondence with the stages. So the first verse is about Shraddha and Sadhu Sangha. I won't go into the explanation of each one, it's too much. But the second verse that you are asking about speaks about Bhajana Kriya and Anartha Nivriti. So it mo the second verse mostly speaks about the stage of the practice in which still anarthas affect the practice more than in other stages. So there will be more like instability. Still we haven't reached nishta. Nishta is represented in the third verse. And nishta means stability, steadiness, fixity. So the previous verse speak about anishtita vajana kriya, like ups and downs, taste, no taste. Now today I'm in a kirtan dancing in ecstasy. This is everything for me. And 15 minutes later, <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know if this is for me. No? I think I should go back to my grandmother and eat chocolate and chips and you know, that's it. And then the next day, so I want to change the world and surrender completely to Krishna. So sometimes we go like this, and it's like, boom, extreme. It begins maybe like that, very extreme. And I'm saying that for you to, to also measure your own enthusiasm, no? because Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur speaks about these six stages. No? He begins with Utsaha Mai. In the beginning, we are totally enthusiastic. <laughs> But 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 basically because we are beginning something. Now when you begin anything, you are enthusiastic. Because just, just because you are beginning, starting something, it's like wow, we are starting something new. Wow. Straw fire. Straw fire. No. But in time, when you have to keep it day after day after day and go deep into that, and that you realize that still many of your artists are there, because in the beginning it feels like Wow, so inspired I am. So it seems that all my obstacles disappear. But in time you realize, not so much. <laughs> so then is when the initial enthusiasm start like to dwindle. Mm. It's getting difficult. It's getting challenging. It's not easy. But that's good that you're realizing that. <laughs> or we may lose enthusiasm. So that shows that our initial enthusiasm was more like, because it was easy. Which is okay, we are not condemning that experience. It's part of the journey. But it's just a honeymoon period, so to say. No? When you're in honeymoon in, in, with a couple, everything's like, there are butterflies and everything is like shining. And it's like, and it's okay, there is a place for the honeymoon. But that's not the ultimate reality of the relationship. I mean, when two people get married and say, I, I, I accept this person, I mean, that's the beginning of the whole thing. Then they will be put to test to see how much they are willing to coexist, work as a team, put away the ego, 
make sacrifice. I mean, that's not so easy. That's not impossible, <laughs> also, <laughs> as we talked today. So, so my point is the second verse, going back, talks about instability. So the humility of that verse corresponds to acknowledging that. Acknowledging that's going on, remaining appreciative of the gift that is coming. Because if not, I, I get drowned in an ocean of negativity only. I have no attraction. This is not. No. But still, the, the generous gift is there. Keeps coming. <laughs> so always I have that positive appreciation to, to hold myself. So by a combination of this appreciation of the gift and healthy repentance, by acknowledging this discrepancy, by having the integrity of acknowledging my discrepancies, that's maybe painful, but that's that's heroic in its own way. No? Okay, I'm willing to embrace this pain of I'm discrepancy. I'm not treating people properly. I'm saying, God, I love you, and then I'm treating other person like crap. No? I'm saying, Krishna, thank you so much for loving me unconditionally, but I'm not willing to accept that others have been loved equally unconditionally. It's painful. It's embarrassing. It's like... I'm such a disaster. <laughs> I think all of us have those days, no? And the cloud comes and you have the cloud. <laughs> of course, it's not eternity. It's not forever like that. But for some reason, we need to go through that also. It's not that this shouldn't be happening. That's part of the journey. So we grow, we mature, we accept that. And we take a proper stance of humility. There's humility in accepting that. Acceptance. Sometimes it's difficult. Acceptance is so difficult for us. <laughs> Sometimes we are in denial of reality and are constantly like struggling, wrestling with things. We don't want to accept some things because they're painful. They're difficult to acknowledge. They're challenging. <laughs> but we need to accept them. So that's the second verse. So the more you do that, that's the point. In that stage, gradually, you will go grow beyond this. In the beginning, the ups and downs will be extreme. As I say, the, un the, the instability is like, today I want to give my heart forever, and tomorrow I'm like, I want to take a holiday for three lifetimes of Krishna Bhakti or something. <laughs> but in time, we will progress. And one of the ways we can measure our progress is that our extreme lack of stability, ups and downs, will become less extreme. The undulation, instead of being like this, will start to become like this. Till you reach a point that we call nishta. Steadiness. But you reach the steadiness by becoming less and less unstable. <laughs> you follow my point? So still, you, there will, will be some instability, but gradually it should like stop being so extreme so contradictory <laughs> still there be some discrepancy discrepancy but at one point will be fully aligned full alignment with reality we may not be there we may not be close to there yet but we are on the journey already that's the important thing we are on the journey krishna says if you're on the journey 
there is no way back. You're already on the journey and I'm supporting you. There's nothing you are losing. I'm supporting, I'm maintaining you. So he's giving all this support, all this hope, like there's nothing to lose here. You're already in a glorious journey. It, it may take a few lifetimes, maybe a little bit embarrassing, but but in the from the bigger picture of the grace that is coming and how much Krishna is accompanying us, it's glorious. So we should remind ourselves of that, especially in those days <laughs> when we were when we get too over identified with the cloud on top of our heads. <laughs> and we will see each other like I'm a disaster, I'm the worst of the worst. And remind Krishna is not seeing you in the same way. So what's more important? How you see yourself or how Krishna is seeing yourself? <laughs> because again, at the end of the day, it's another facet of the ego. No? You put your own opinion on you as higher than anyone else, including Krishna. <laughs> and you take your anartha so seriously that they end up be becoming, seeming for us bigger than Krishna's mercy. Sometimes we concentrate so much on our anarthas that they seem like unsurmountable. But Krishna's mercy is always bigger. As I like to say, Krishna's mercy is more powerful than all our anarthas put together. Imagine if you take all your anarthas that we don't know how many we have and we condense them, all of them. Still, that's a, in, on a scale. Put that on one side. On the other side, put the mercy of Gorgadadar and the Sadhus. There's no point of comparison. But we forget sometimes that. And we give so much weight and importance over, and that's when we get discouraged and like that's important that we are able to keep the bigger picture in mind or at least run to someone who will remind us don't forget to see this you're just concentrating on this no? oh, nothing is going on that thing is happening and there's so much going on here but you are just like addicted addicted to your thoughts addicted to Look in this direction. Something has to happen here, and nothing is going on. Nothing, and everything is going on there. So you just need to. That's why this, when this devotee asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj once, I think I told her, Gurudev, can you give me some service? And he said, change your angle of vision. Yeah, that was a service. He gave him service for eternity. <laughs> change your angle of vision. No. Be always willing to adjust, to change, to look in the proper direction. And if someday you feel, I cannot, it's too difficult, I'm too absorbed here, I got trapped here. <laughs> Once one devotee asked that to Srila Sermanash also, what happens in those days where I feel that all these anarchists are like swallowing me? <laughs> and he says, he replied, just cry for help urgently and run at the feet of some Vaishnava. Like admit you are powerless and just beg for help in someone else. Sometimes you can do your own work and you can manage the situation, but sometimes it's beyond your control and you need to be humble. Another form of humility, which is my mind is killing me. Please help me. No? I know there's much more, but I cannot see it now. It's too much. Please 
Vaishnav Thakur, <laughs> please, Krishna Chandra, <laughs> help me. Help me to see what I know is there, but I cannot see now. That happens sometimes. In the in the depth, we know it's something else, but I cannot see it's too much. Indra is raining too much, Sambartaka. It's like too much. I kind of overwhelmed. So sometimes we need someone else who will take us and will like take us and look. <laughs> so the more we do that, the more we reach the third verse of success, and the more we will be constant and we will be able to show less discrepancy and we will show humility in every direction. No? We'll be able to draw lessons from the environment. No? The third verse is very beautiful. It's very much in line to this verse of the Bhagavatam that we were quoting before. Because the verse of the Bhagavatam, we're speaking about treating everyone properly, without discrepancy. And Mahaprabhu, in the third verse, is basically showing that. He's seeing the grass and he's finding a guru. A Siksha Guru talking to me, giving me a, a whole class just by being there. <laughs> when you are in Nista, you develop so much capacity to learn. You don't even need to, okay, till the class, I cannot learn anything. You just gaze at the grass and it's like, wow, that was a Bhagavatam class in itself. Then he, he moves from the grass to the tree. Sarvara Pisa wow. Three is speaking. Three is speaking. We are. We don't have the ears to hear. That's the problem. But the trees give the lesson: tolerance. And the tolerance that the trees show, and as Bhagno Thakur explains, is giving. He said, compassion free from envy. And the trees standing there. <laughs> so much tolerance. Trees there. Cold comes. Rain comes. Heat comes. Snow comes, someone who didn't find a bathroom comes, <laughs> no? someone who is in the honeymoon period comes and will write the name of her beloved in the tree. <laughs> someone with, with some spray comes, a graffiti artist, and will like. And finally, some people will come with an axe, seeing the tree, seeing the tree as, as money, no? and they will cut the tree. And what will the tree do? He, while tolerating, the tree is giving, giving air, giving fruit, giving shelter, giving shadow, is giving, 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 while tolerating. Now this is this famous poetic example from India, which says, "Be like the sandalwood tree." You know that one? That's intense. Fasten your seatbelt. It says, be like the sandalwood tree which perfumes the axe that is cutting it down. <laughs> Imagine. Huh? Someone comes to you to tear you apart, how you reply? <laughs> Perfuming that person. <laughs> because the sandalwood tree is aromatic. So the axe comes, how they are, it's a poetry, a poetry to, but to illustrate this principle. So nishta has to do with that. I'm saying that so we don't take nishta that cheaply either. Because after a few years, we may be a little bit more balanced than, than our first days. I'm thinking, oh, probably I'm getting to nishta already. But we have to exhibit this type of 
and again, it's not so much about getting neurotic. I'm in Nishta, I'm not in Nishta, in which stage I am, and getting too much concern of that. So it's not like a competition. Like I have to reach that stage by 2025, and a Sakti 2029, Prem 25 years. <laughs> it's not like that. Remember, it doesn't work with mathematics. So. But yeah, the more we embrace the humility of the second verse, acknowledging where we are, our embarrassing contradictions and discrepancies, <laughs> appreciating the constant unconditional gift that keeps coming, that will be so humbling, so moving, and that will empower us to reach the next level of humility that Mahaprabhu is showing there. You will reach that level of humility by another type of humility. <laughs> you can only reach further humility by humility. <laughs> Showing one type of humility takes you to another level of humility. Humility for its own sake. So to say. As we serve to be able to serve more, we are trying to be humble so we can be more humble. Okay, sorry for the long answer to that question. <laughs> That was what came, so yeah, you know, I, that came, so I think, yeah. So it's almost nine, so I don't want to overextend myself. So we, I think maybe we can close here. Can you sing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but we can conclude here the, the Q&A. Tomorrow we have one last meeting in the morning. We will be talking on prayer. That will be the last because let, later I have a, another podcast, so... In the evening, maybe too much. Another one. So tomorrow in the morning, we will talk a little bit of sacred contemplative prayer. So thank you so much again for instilling whatever comes. If it's something use useful, it's also part of your sincere presence and questions and hearing. So thank you, thank you. Sri Satchinandan Gaur Hari Ki Jai, Hari Nam Prabhu Ki Jai, Sri Sri Gaur Gadadhar Jai Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Govinda Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Praman Haribol, Vancha Kalpatarubya Shrakti Pasindubya Vacha, Tita Nam Pavane Vyo Vaishnava Vyo Namon, Nanta Koti Vaishnava Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Haribol.